just so. Yep, it's going. There it is. Okay, so that's the timer. It's endless. This is a huge car. And then how how will you get it to me? Just like by email or something? Yeah, I'll stick it in your Google Drive. Okay. And we'll do it that way. Okay. So yeah. So we just get going. Yep. All right. Well, welcome everybody to the Brian Piergrossi Podcast. That's me. So good to be with you with the dear old friend, Rob Len Festi. That's how you say last name, right? Correct. You got it. Yeah. You, we both have challenging last names, so I think we both have the same <laughs> experience. Yep. I, I mean, you, you just get to the point where you don't even think about it. Everyone asks, did I say that correctly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. And we're out here at um, a beautiful property that, that's his, Mandela Springs, um, 45 acres outside of Bernardsville, North Carolina. And Rob and I have known each other for a long time, and we used to be in a men's group together. And we were just talking about how he was telling me about how he had, um, he was sharing these, these, these visions at that time. He was living in a little tiny house in, in the center of Asheville and was just had these visions and um, here we are. So congratulations, you got a lot going on. So we'll, we'll share a lot of what's happening here, but how do you feel like you got from like that moment where you're just like thinking about, had these ideas to this moment here today like what's the what's the internal consciousness what's what's kind of that level how does that work on that level that is a great question Mm -hmm. and that is uh it's a multifaceted question Mm -hmm. or rather a multifaceted answer and just for a little bit of context you know we're seeing our men's group you know part of the you know one of the things is i was just starting a chocolate company yeah and talking about okay Here's the next steps. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody recommended, hey, why don't you go to Mountain BizWorks, yeah. the local business incubation mm-hmm. place. And I was like, that's a great idea. I'm going to go to Mountain BizWorks, going to do that thing. Mm-hmm. And that was a cataclytic moment in the building and creation of this business. Another piece was listing all of the things I wanted in a piece of land, the mm-hmm. desire to eventually create a retreat center. Mm-hmm. And... You know, there wasn't necessarily a traceable physical movement piece at that point, but just being in a group of people, clearly listing what my intentions were and really starting to just get clear on what I want is absolutely an important step in the manifestation and creation of anything. Mm -hmm. If you can't clearly define what you want and what you want that to look like, and start just getting more and more specific on the details of that, then it's going to make it a lot more difficult, if impossible, to create it. So the the you know with the chocolate company piece, I went to Mountain BizWorks the next day, and that's another piece of it is I didn't waste a single moment. I knew I wanted to grow my business. I went to Mountain BizWorks the next day, and they interviewed me they decided to give me the full scholarship all of the training and I went in there and I had these coaches and I realized that these coaches are people that generally could charge you know 80 to 120 dollars an hour or more for their services so I instantly felt like I was I was on the receiving end of value so I was doing the best I could to respect every bit of the value that I was getting from them so that's so that's another piece is really 
um, is really just the gratitude and respect for what is being given. I would ask them for homework. Every single meeting I had, it's like, great, give me something actionable I can do. Give me something that I can do. I go home, I do it as, as efficiently as I can. Come back to them and say, that's done. Now what's next in building this business? Realizing that building a business is, there's, there's the art of what you're creating, but the building of it is a science. Uh, and if you follow the steps and you work with people who know what those steps are and you do things one step at a time, you'll get there. And, and so I think a lot of people, you know, sometimes a lot of people really just have vague ideas first and foremost of what they want. And they never actually take the time to really crystallize and really get a very clear picture, details. I mean, with the piece of property, I said I wanted, you know, National Forest within 30 minutes of Asheville, wanted springs, I wanted streams, I wanted boulders and boulder fields, I wanted all of my favorite wild edible and medicinal plants, and on top of all that, I want high-speed internet. And, you know, I got super clear on these things, and lo and behold, here we are at Mandala Springs. This is, this is it. Uh, it has everything I could ever hope for. It's, it's the dream. I have the chocolate craftery here on site. You have yeah. built well, let's talk about everything you have because you because the thing I love about you, I think of you as like a Renaissance man. Like you got you're, you're <laughs> like, in all these different areas. So you so you have the chocolate the chocolate factory. Yep. Right. You're doing Wim Hof, leading Wim Hof uh, workshops, retreats, so yes. forth. And started a new YouTube channel with online breathwork videos as well. Which got like you said like seventy thousand views. Yeah, in the last so two months. Like, so yeah. off to a pretty good start yeah, there. Yeah. Yeah. And musical artist, right? You're a musical artist. Yep. Um, been writing and producing music and uh, using the name Amorphos, uh -huh. which is literally means amor, love, phos, like phosphorescence, light. So it's literally uh -huh. love light in Latin. Uh -huh. I did that. That was an accident. I didn't mm -hmm. even know that's what I was doing when I wrote, chose that name. Uh -huh. And yeah, just cross genre, multiple, anything that catches my fancy, mm -hmm. uh, having fun with that. And then um, this space, people... Airbnb, the property, and you know, have having experience that is powerful for them here, right? So you have that, and it's a venue. Um, the goal of this land is a human empowerment and ecological retreat center. Uh, the goal is to—I mean, we have 45 acres, national forest on three sides, all sorts of water features that, in and of themselves, can actually power everything that we do mm -hmm. here. So we can be completely off the grid, but still have you know the high-speed internet the co-working mm -hmm. the ability to incubate and support and stimulate mm -hmm. business while simultaneously having a place that supports getting really deep really primal in the natural world yeah learning the wild medicines learning the wild foods um yeah. and so it facilitates that holistic human empowerment which is which is my shtick uh -huh. When you say I have all these things and do all these things and the Renaissance person, my my goal is to share with the world like the strategy that worked for me, which was right. to build a multifaceted, multi-layered lifestyle yeah. that encompasses a lot of seemingly different things that are actually collaborating with each other to allow me to be in a place of innovation mm -hmm. relative to anything I do. 
So I might not be, you know, if, if you focus on one thing your entire life and just do that one thing well, uh, one, you know, physical activity or one specialty, you know, maybe you'll become like an absolute grandmaster at that. But you're not necessarily placing yourself in, in a position of being able to innovate that field because you're limiting the amount of perspective and contrast you have relative to everything else that life has to offer. So being the quote unquote Renaissance man and, and endeavoring to gain greater and greater competency in a wide and holistic range of practices and skills means that rather than being the grandmaster of any one of them, you have an opportunity to bring some of the inspiration that you're learning along the way and, and, and just the way that that opens up your mind, body, and soul for learning. It's like cross-training. You innovate. You're, yeah. able to, you're able to do things in ways that no one has ever done them before and bring a different perspective to any given field. Mm -hmm. And that is absolutely invaluable. Like it's what we need to evolve as a species. We need both. We need the specialists and we need the people that are these intentional generalists. Mm -hmm. So you, you also, you also were involved with acro yoga, right? Correct. And you reminded me also of the, the wild man um, organization and the, the, the connection to nature and teaching people about the land and herbs and rites yeah. of passage. Yeah. And I mean, connection to nature during the decade of my twenties, I, uh, very confidently and clearly could say that I, I spent significantly more nights of my life sleeping in the wilderness than I did in a bed. Mm. Uh, for most of that decade, beds were a novelty mm -hmm. and actually an uncomfortable novelty. Sometimes I'd find myself trying to sleep in a bed and about a couple hours later, I'd find myself comfortably falling asleep on the ground somewhere. And were you traveling at that time or were you? Mostly. I, I, Asheville is home okay. and I maintain space at a circus warehouse in town that I helped to create a dynamic movement space and a music studio and various, you know, various elements that, uh, have now come to play in more mature forms here on this property. Uh, but I was very much mobile and always trying to keep it intentional. Very little of it was ever, uh, especially past the age of about 21, uh, just purely for the sake of, of travel. Mm -hmm. uh, generally, there was a mission, uh, lots of documentaries that I was a part of and mm -hmm. helping to film and, and create. Mm -hmm. uh, there were different musical projects, actually. I got flown to Nepal to help uh, record samples for a musical project that ended up becoming a Grammy-nominated world music album. So that was really fun. Uh, and then after that, I spent my time teaching slackline yoga and acro yoga and teaching at all of the yoga festivals around the world and uh, filling the space in between with workshops, classes, musical gigs, and, and simultaneously training with the people that inspire me the most. Finding the, finding the inspirational leaders, thought leaders, and, and people who have gone the furthest in their particular fields and seeing what what I can learn. And who are some of those people? One of them is Wim Hof. Yeah, I'd say um, 
Wim Hof is really probably the biggest one that I've spent the most time with. Uh, Luckily, before he became too popular. Just for anybody who doesn't know, just might explain who he is and what he does. Wim Hof, uh, he's now a very uh, international star, so um, most people know who he is, but if you don't, he's a man, he's Danish, and he has 27 or 28 world records right now in lots of different places, but mostly around uh, cold exposure and being able to sit in ice. Uh, the ice man. Yep, he's the ice man. And being able to swim under ice and being able to maintain his full homeostatic equilibrium, his body, keeping its body temperature for record-breaking times that broke science as we knew it. But what really put Wim Hof on the map was he subjected himself to the scientific process in really important ways, which led to some studies that had completely rocked everything we thought we knew about human physiology and have created a domino effect, uh, where now there are studies going on all over the world at universities around the world directly based off of that initial study, which was only in 2015, uh, was when that first study came out. Now, everything we know about human physiology has completely shifted. They're doing new experiments all the time, uh, literally from the central nervous system out. So from the deepest level, what we thought we knew about the human uh, body has completely shifted. And Wim Hof is, sits at right at the center of that. Mm-hmm. And they've had to update from, from the most basic high school level to the most advanced PhD level, human physiology textbooks have had to put brand new chapters in, and remove old chapters in order to catch up with all the new science that's come from studying the Wim Hof method and human control of the autonomic nervous system. And what specifically has he shown? What has what science understood through him? So it's that, that human beings, mm-hmm. so the autonomic nervous system, they call it that because it's supposed to be automatic. You know, it's what controls your heart rate, what controls your digestion, what controls your production of hormones and adrenal compounds, uh, you know, the the fight-or-flight response or the rest-and-recovery response. These are all things that are part of your autonomic nervous system. So they were thought to be outside of human control. And what Wim Hof was able to prove without a shadow of a doubt through not just himself, but then teaching students over a very short amount of time, 10 days to be specific, that human beings could enact control over their autonomic processes. This changed everything. And that that by itself would have been enough to completely rock our understanding of human physiology. But it's everything that's been built from that foundation that is even more incredible. And, and our understanding, of it, and the beauty of it is it's not just a change in understanding human physiology, but it's a change in understanding human physiology that has the implications of humans having superhuman levels of control, capacity, and ability in ways that were previously thought to be impossible. So, you know, there, there could be a, a science-shattering understanding of human physiology that doesn't change the status quo of our use of our bodies at all. It just so happens that all of this is directly connected to what would be considered a scientifically impossible superhuman capability. Mm -hmm. 
in human beings, and that's really exciting. Like the ability to, to use the ice example, to be in a, to be in a, what what kind of temperature is he in? Well, I'll, I'll even talk about my own personal okay, experience. Okay, sure, yes, yeah. even better. Um, you know, I I grew up with terrible circulation. Mm -hmm. um, I had Raynaud's, and what Wim was very interested in me, and 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 the method was interested in me because. I was one of the first people that they'd ever seen, the first person actually, um, to, to be completely clear about that, to fully claim to have completely eradicated 100% of the symptoms of Raynaud's. And what is Raynaud's? So Raynaud's is a circulatory disorder where when you go out, even in moderate cold, like it could be 45 degrees, mm -hmm. slightly humid, and I would lose all the circulation mm -hmm. in my extremities, my toes and my fingers, they would turn white and blue and you could press on the skin, mm -hmm. and it would stay exactly how you pressed mm -hmm. it. When I was in high school and I was sitting in class bored out of my mind, I realized I had this really fun super superpower where I could take the a mechanical pencil, retract the lead so it was just like the tip, and lightly draw shapes all over my arms. I would just lightly draw them, and then over about 30 seconds, it would come up in stark white. It would stay like that for 30, 45 minutes. I thought it was the coolest thing. I'd make these intricate sleeves all over my arms and no one else could do it. Well, that superpower was actually a horrendous circulatory issue. Like it was not, it was not something to be uh, excited about. I'm glad I enjoyed it at least while, while I did. <laughs> so I had pretty severe Raynaud's. Um, and by my nature, I, that also then meant that I got into things like ice climbing and mountaineering and became the youngest person to climb the tallest mountain outside the Himalayas at one point and um, kept pushing myself in dangerous territory um, because even, like I said, in moderately cool temperatures, I could have an entire loss of circulation. And when that happens, um, in order to get it back is a huge battle. It could take hours and hours and hours for me to get circulation back, and then it's extremely painful because blood will have stopped flowing in all the capillaries and it has to be forced back in. Um, I'd go rock climbing, take my rock climbing shoes off, notice that my toes were white, and then I'd have to just grit and bear it because 30, 45 minutes later, I'd probably be driving home and all of a sudden I have to pull over the car, put a sock in my mouth and just sit there and curl up into a ball as the blood was forcing itself back into my extremities. And this, was, this, this became something that I was accustomed to. It was a normal experience for me. So in comes the Wim Hof method and a few years of practice, me really going and studying with Wim himself for a while. Next thing you know, I'm in the Rocky Mountains in the middle of the winter and I'm climbing up to, a, to an alpine lake frozen in the snow wearing nothing but a pair of shorts. No shoes, no shirt, just shorts, like walking through the snow walking all the way up to the Alpine Lake, breaking the ice on the little stream that feeds the lake, so not even the lake, breaking the ice on the stream, laying down inside of it, like getting, you know, getting my back and then turning over and getting my front, then sitting down in the snow, soaking wet, wearing nothing but the shorts, and looking at my hands and looking at my feet and seeing how bright red, happy, and rosy they were. That moment... I was in tears because it finally hit me like just how I was right now doing something that the scientific world would have told you a few years before was impossible for someone with great circulation 
And here am I, having suffered from the exact opposite, from a terrible circulatory problem for, for my entire life, doing something that science would have told you was impossible a few years prior. Mm-hmm. And that was such a joy. And that right there captures the essence of what I've dedicated my entire life for. Before that, it was slackline yoga, meeting the best slackliners in the world. In this case, the people who helped to create and lift up the entire sport of slacklining. And I discovered it luckily before when it was still an obscure climbers community sport before it became a world phenomenon. And I got to study with some of the best slackliners in the world. And then I got to be a part of the creation and innovation of, of slackline yoga. There was actually a couple of guys doing it and they created yoga slackers and I was doing my own form of it. There was a few groups of people doing kind of the same, you know, things at the same time. And we all came together under the yoga slackers banner and becoming a teacher through that system just perpetuated my life as a yoga instructor and as a movement artist. Then getting to meet some of the uh, some of the direct holders of the old Russian and, and European lineages in acrobatics, like circus acrobatics, and then the originators of acro yoga and the combination of those things, and then getting to become an innovator, bringing new, you know, new spins and new creative practices into that world as well. And part of that is because I've never been a specialist. And when I first get into acro yoga, suddenly I'm thinking about everything I learned spending years of my life living in the wilderness, learning primal movement, climbing rocks and climbing trees and playing music, playing the piano since I was five years old, everything, all of it informs the way that I practice. And suddenly there's new opportunities that wouldn't be there if it weren't for the full spectrum of experience that I've had as a human being. It's building, it's stretching and exercising myself in as many ways as possible in order to create a greater depth to my holistic experience. That depth is the wellspring from which innovation arises. Mm-hmm. And innovations like, it feels like from the story you're sharing, it's like there's these, I call them like limiting beliefs. Like, interesting thing about, you know, Science. I was listening to uh, David David Wolf, David Avocado Wolf. He's talking about the distinction between science and scientism, right? So, so science is like, you know, you're observing something, you're you're observing what it does, you're 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 uh, recording what it does, and that's a scientific method. Um, scientism has become like these beliefs of like, well, you can't do that, or you can't do this, and this is impossible, and that's not possible. Well, this is the truth. <laughs> this is the truth. This, this is, is a not fact. the truth. Right. And, and therefore, yeah, and it's, it's a blind limiting belief. And speaking of David Wolf, I lived with him. Uh-huh. You know, I've spent, he's, he's been here. He's, uh-huh. he's one of my um, old friends. And I was just having a conversation with somebody else about him just a moment ago. Uh-huh. So that's kind of uh-huh. a nice little synchronicity. But, uh, um, but you push, but it's like, it's like, that's a belief. And I don't have to bind to that belief. Even if it's science, even if it's like, no, your body can't do this. I don't have to bind to that belief. I'm living from a place of anything is possible. Exactly. Right? Keeping myself open. And that's the empowerment. And it's and it's and it's like realizing how unconsciously judgmental people are of 
of any of things that sit outside of their comfort zone and their belief. And that is the wall that allows people to stay in a place of safety and comfort. But unfortunately, safety and comfort in this regard um, are the mechanisms of atrophy and losing the ability to not only grow and expand, but then to innovate. So one of the keys to doing this effectively is to be in a constant state of questioning the veracity and reality of anything, including these most seemingly mundane. Like the moment that I start And that's to, real science. That's, that's real what science. A real science scientists would do. And that's part of it. Because yeah. science is a method of exploration and a method and a method of by by learning something through the scientific method, being able to create a furtherance. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's a method for being able to create new technologies and new you know opportunities but even then you can say well this scientific fact is obviously a fact because it led to the creation of these technologies but perfect example electricity you know so a lot of science where they were like this is how this principle works right. they were able to build lots of technology off of the science of electricity and then 50 years later, the entire understanding of what electricity is is completely changed and there's nothing resembling the paradigm of what they thought it was, but they were still able to build technologies off of it. They understood its behaviors under certain conditions, but that doesn't mean that they knew what it was. And as soon as you feel like you've answered the question because you've been able to observe a consistent behavior in something, you are losing an opportunity to have an innovative thought, an innovative opportunity to uh, to gain something brand, to gain something new, a new perspective in in everything. Yeah, and it's like that opens you up for for critical thinking. That opens up this deeper level of empowerment. It opens up all the doorways of what's possible, right? Exactly. Yeah. Keeping the doorways open is a practice. Uh, it's there's a there's kind of a cultural predilection and it might even be um, part of human nature it, your body your your mind wants to compartmentalize things because mm -hmm. there's so much information coming in at all times mm -hmm. if you were to really experience all of it it would be overwhelming yeah. but where people make a mistake is they don't exercise their ability to absorb more information and be able to utilize it mm -hmm. so you know there, there's a even though there's yeah there's a limit i think the reason why most people like science has said oh humans only use 12 percent of their brains that's it well i think that's a fallacy i think the reason why they're showing humans using only 12 percent of their brains is because people are not culturally habitually learning to expand the amount of information hmm. that they're able to receive and digest in any given moment. Hmm. And I believe that there are very clear foundational and fundamental ways that over time we can expand the amount of incoming information that we are able to digest, that we're able to utilize 
and therefore uh, the speed and efficiency with which we're able to grow, learn, adapt, change, essentially all of the strategies that create optimal life and human excellence. And what's one of the ways to do that? So that's, and that's where I feel like the, that, that comes back to the generalist piece. Okay. So there are many different ways, mm -hmm. but I think a lot of doing a lot of brain gymnastics and men yeah. and physical gymnastics, understanding that mental and emotional information is also simultaneously mm -hmm. embodied in mm -hmm. your body. Mm -hmm. So it's building new patterns, building yeah. new habits, taking skill sets that are new, uncomfortable, and not necessarily firing well in the brain and in the body, and building them to a point where you can do them fluidly and habitually. Because there's a like when you're learning something or you're trying to do something with your mind, if you're trying to think a problem through, the conscious mind is very slow, relatively speaking, and it's only able to handle a few permutations at a time. Your subconscious mind, however, is extremely fast and it can handle many multiples more different permutations and different synaptic connections and things at the same time. So if you're always trying to, if you're always gauging your success by where your conscious mind is able to function. So if I'm, if I'm trying to a slackline maneuver or, or, or a piano thing and I'm, and I'm really thinking it through, it's like, okay, I got to put this finger here. I got to do this pattern. It's like making my brain hurt because my conscious mind isn't fast enough to really execute and it can't do all the pieces at once. If I'm splitting my brain, I'm doing something with my left hand and something with my right and I'm doing a different thing with my mouth and with my feet. It's going, it's going to overwhelm it. But over time, if I keep practicing it, it's going to make it into my subconscious. At that point, it becomes effortless. Something that would have fatigued my mind and body trying to figure out how to do with the conscious mind can be done effortlessly by the subconscious mind. And, and the more things that I make effortless in my subconscious mind, the more I'm exercising my whole mind and making it easier for me to learn new things. So it doesn't matter if it's learning the piano or learning a new slackline move or learning a new way to move through the woods or identifying the plant species in a new ecosystem, whatever it is, the more different things like this that I practice that force me to use brand new parts of my brain, mm -hmm. it's like any muscle. The more I exercise it, the more easily I yeah. can learn anything new. So when they, you know, when people talk about how it's amazing how easily children can learn, they're like sponges. You can just learn new things rapidly. And then as you get older, you know, it just doesn't work that way. And they even, science will even, scientism mm -hmm. <laughs> will even show you the brain scans and be like, well, yeah, because there's less activity in these parts of the brain. You know, mm -hmm. as you get older, obviously you lose activity in these parts of the brain. No, that's absolutely false. You lose activity in those parts of the brain because you gain enough patterns. Once, once most people gain enough patterns, 
to be coherent in society, to basically act like a normal adult, then a lot of the impetus to continue to learn goes away. So then they get stuck in whatever patterns they learned and the parts of their brain that help them to learn new things begins to atrophy. It's not getting any use. Then it becomes harder and harder to learn new skills. It becomes a whole, you know, can't teach an old dog a new trick kind of reality. Uh, because literally you've, you're, you're in a downward spiral at that point. You've been atrophying the parts of your brain that learn, which makes it more exhausting to try to learn something new, which further makes you less likely to jumpstart the learning process to try and learn something new, downward spiral. Whereas if you, if you break through the barrier of that atrophy, because a lot of people are going to have to reboot it. It's not like that part of their brain is gone. It's, it's more just having to reboot it, get it functioning again. And if you understand that that's what you're doing, it makes it easier. And that comes through continually learning new things in a variety of areas. Yes. Yeah. And, and making sure that it's new things that are pushing you to use your mind and body in new ways. New ways. That's, what, that's the magic of, of the non-specialty is specifically the opportunity to practice so many wildly different patterns mm -hmm. in nice. my mind, body, my emotions, you know, through things like Qigong and the uh -huh. movement of energy through my energy body, uh -huh. um, being able to, to hit so many different cylinders mm -hmm. with all of the different practices. Mm -hmm. It keeps me a childlike sponge in regards to my ability to assimilate new information, new patterns, mm -hmm. and grow as a human being. Nice. Yeah, one of the things I find that's noteworthy right now is you kind of people get in this kind of echo chamber. You see this with social media, the algorithm, you know, you get into a certain whatever you're into, a certain kind of way of looking at things, and then you're just connecting with other people, and they're just parroting back to you the same thing that you're into. You just kind of get lost in this little world of your own tiny little limiting more limiting limiting mind so i find one of the things that's a powerful exercise um i will intentionally quite often now to, ex to exercise the mind kind of mental gymnastics look at the opposite side right like um i don't really like these terms so much i think they're kind of old but let's just say like left right to make it simple kind of a thing like well this is kind of a left point of view well, what's the right point of view or what's the left point you know and like kind of just kind of bounce your mind back and forth and maybe there's an integration of several different components that you can bring together instead of just being stuck in the same rut of seeing everything the same way that your friends are, you know, parroting back to you on social media. And, and one of the, I mean, and that is brilliant because mm -hmm. one of the, one of the things that the marketing and capitalist world has recognized mm -hmm. is that when you're in that pattern of atrophy, mm -hmm. the patterns that are familiar become even more important to you. Mm -hmm. they, be, they are actually the addiction because what you've done is you've essentially narrowed your comfort zone to just the patterns that you have made comfortable. You basically root bound very small parts of your brain. Um, you've got synapses just completely wrapped around each other. They're not branching out. They're not going anywhere. And that becomes your comfort zone. Everything outside of that is a source of like nervous system overload, fight or flight, 
adrenaline, adrenal fatigue. Um, it's really intense. And social media exploits this by using their algorithms to feed you more of exactly what resonates makes in you your comfort zone. Yeah. What makes you comfortable. Yeah. And it and, and it feeds off of that. And unfortunately, what that does is all that does is continue to exacerbate the root bound and limited yeah. nature. You're I mean, putting yourself more and more in a box without even realizing it. And, and root bound, it's like if you ever seen a plant, you know, you get it from the nursery and it's been mm. sitting in a pot for too long and all the roots mm. are just tightly woven around each other because they've yeah. had nowhere to go. And that's what happens with synapses in the brain. Mm. You know, it, metaphorically speaking, is a few parts of your brain that are comfortable lighting, firing and wiring together will stay that way. And rather than branching out and creating new connections with new parts of the brain, they'll just keep wrapping around themselves in the same patterns that they're used to. Everything else goes dark, gets atrophied. Mm -hmm. And so you become more and more vulnerable to that kind of social conditioning, more and more vulnerable to a socially prescribed comfort zone. And it doesn't matter whether you were, whether you've habitually learned to lean conservative or liberal mm -hmm. or this camp or mm -hmm. that camp, mm -hmm. it doesn't care. Mm -hmm. It's just going to show you whichever social mythology fits into that comfort zone. Mm -hmm. um, coming out of that root bound, having expanded more of my mind, body and spirit. Mm -hmm. If there's one thing I've learned very clearly is that they're all false. <laughs> Every <laughs> single one of them are yeah. fake. Yeah. There's no truth out there to be had. Yeah. Truth is not something that exists in one philosophy or another philosophy relative to a subject. Truth exists in your in your day-to-day, moment-to-moment experience of reality. Um, everything else is honestly a waste of time. So my my biggest advice to people is stop. <laughs> stop. Don't don't defend ideas mm -hmm. stop defending ideas because those ideas mean nothing if they are not part of your physical actionable day-to-day -day movement in the world mm -hmm. and if your physical actionable movement and day-to-day -day work in the world is defending ideas then it's worth scrutinizing whether you're effectively doing anything that's having a real impact yeah. on on future on the health well-being and thrival of future generations i think that is important too to keep in mind it's like not just this generalist expansion for the sake of expansion but you have to have a goal and i've simultaneously i'm always analyzing goals like what's really the best goal and ultimately what i've come to that seems like the most infallibly beautiful goal that sits closest to my heart is to create a living legacy. So spreading ideas, systems, practices, cultural behavior systems, uh, environmental connective practices, permaculture, living with nature, spreading a living foundational culture that is healthy, healthy, whole, sustainable, and will only adapt, grow, and change to better future generations. So I'm looking at, you know, people, there's old uh, Iroquois 
you know, looking seven day, yeah. uh, saying seven of looking seven generations down. Well, I'm looking seven times seven generations down. It's like 49. Yeah. <laughs> you know, 49 generations down. It's like, how, how can, how can seven generations from now, like what I said in motion be, you know, it might not be recognizable. No one will never remember my name. I don't care. Yep. That's not what it's about. It's about making sure that the ideas that I leave behind, the physical structures and the, the, the state of the world that I leave behind is, is supportive to a healthy foundation for the next generation so that they can be a support for the foundation of the next generation and that that is something that perpetuates itself indefinitely into the future. That to me seems like the single most worthy goal of the game of life. Mm -hmm. So I focus my growth and expansion and everything that I do around the the creation of that. And it's it's simultaneously learning how and getting greater wisdom into how what truly lasts what truly has enduring longevity beyond our lifetimes how cultural mythologies are built how behavioral patterns are created and helping to steer all of those things in the most productive way i can see to create the greatest coherence between humanity and this planet for all the generations to come. Awesome. Are you probably with a guy named Daniel Schmachtenberger? No. Yeah, he's. He, I just tuned in him a couple of weeks ago. I'll send you some stuff, but he's he's got something he calls a game B, and it's just like how to be sustainable but also thrive as a civilization, as a human civilization. Sounds and like my really kind of guy. Thinker. And also really an integral thinker, you know, like kind of bringing all different um, areas of study together and integrating them together. Yeah, so I feel like you resonate with what he's got going on. Yeah, I love seeing more and more. There's more and more people out there who are who are sharing at its bones essentially the same message. Yeah, that I am. It's like we have a growing community of people yeah. who understand the the bones of this principle, but even more beautifully, have completely different strategies and ways of expressing it mm-hmm. and creating it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's another really wonderful understanding is understanding that it's going to, it's going to happen from multiple different angles all at the same time yeah. from different perspectives and different ways of describing it and creating it. Um, and, and really the most important thing you can do as a human being is, is get more and more clear on your own your own personal contribution relative to the lens of, of humanity that you get to focus and then project from. Mm-hmm. And it feels like a big part of this is getting clear on what doesn't work and what's not, what's not, what's not working out, which brings us to something you were saying earlier before we started the <laughs> podcast, kind of where we are now is like, you know, so for those who may be listening in some point in the future, we've got the coronavirus thing happening. We've had some riots happening, a lot of different turmoil going on in various ways right now. And I think you're saying that there's an energy of discomfort 
and you're saying you think it's good. So part of part of the whole absolutely and part of the whole what you learn when you endeavor to continue to grow and expand mm -hmm. in multifaceted ways is that discomfort means you're outside of your comfort zone. Being outside of your comfort zone means that you're in the place where you can grow. Now, there is getting outside of your comfort zone too far. Um, if you go too far, you'll actually, if you get too, so far out of your comfort zone that you have a traumatic experience, um, your brain is actually designed to solidify those traumatic experiences really strongly. You only want to touch the hot stove <laughs> once as a child, and then you know not to touch the stove anymore. That's yeah. a survival mechanism. Yeah. So we're wired to really have strong synaptic connections around tra trauma. The problem there is if you are, you know, it's like, I'm gonna grow, I'm gonna go rock climb, and then you go rock climbing and you just push it too far, and you have a traumatic experience, well, every time you think about rock climbing, it's going to bring up a yeah. sense of dread and fear in your, in your heart and soul, and you're never going to do anything again. So you've gotta, it's learning to stay regularly in a place of that beautiful, exciting, juicy discomfort. Yeah. That means I am growing, I am expanding, I am in the growth, growth there's place. A, there's a good phrase for this a friend of mine has, it's surfing the edge. Yep, you gotta <laughs> surf the edge. And if you do so, you are inevitably going to touch the trauma zone. Yeah. Um, Sometimes you fall off the surfboard. That's how you know where it is. Yeah. But it's not the end of the world. Mm -hmm. You just have to realize that if you have a trauma response, if you, if you initiate a trauma response, mm -hmm. it's going to take about, on average, 10 times more effort to come back to neutral mm -hmm. around it, which, you know, be okay with. Because if you're doing that, then that means you are, you are putting yourself out there you're growing and you're changing. So what I'm seeing with society right now is, and this is what I consider to be the real true privilege conversation. Right. I believe privilege inherently is the ability to sit in your comfort zone and to be able to continue to ignore or dismiss the consequences and impact of your actions you know you buy products at the store you stick them in, you stick the trash in the trash can you put the trash can to the curb the man comes and gets the trash takes it to the dump you never even have to look at the dump you never have to think about that trash again there is there is a privilege that allows us to exist so deeply in our comfort zone that we don't even have to connect to the consequences of our actions the problem with this is that we've you know we've got this society that is existing in this extremely unsustainable way you know as as disconnected from the destructive nature of what's happening to the forests the deforestation and the logging what's happening to the manufacturing communities in the third world and the slave wages and what it takes to have that nice shirt that you're wearing and that packaging that's on that thing or you know the the living conditions of the animals that are turned into food in a society that is disconnected from from the humane and benefit and treatment of these animals not only for their benefit but so that they can be the most beneficial 
source of nourishment and food that they can be. Right now, um, they're, it's, it's like cruel on all levels, including to the consumer who's eating like physiological trauma yeah. Yeah. And, and, and chemicals and all sorts of nasty things. It's, it's, it's gotten to a point of, of the most extreme illness in terms of privilege and the disconnection from the uh, ramifications of our actions and behaviors. So when you have things like COVID happening right now, in some ways, in small ways, to be completely frank and honest compared to what is necessary, people are uncomfortable. People are suddenly no longer inside of their comfort zone. They're being forced to engage with the world in new ways that are outside of that tightly held, root-bound, little synaptically tight little comfort zone place that they're used to. This doesn't mean that they're actively looking at all of the consequences of their actions in the way that I just described. But what it does mean is they're being forced to branch out synaptically, branch out emotionally and mentally, and start experiencing new parts of themselves and experience different aspects of reality that they otherwise would have remained in that comfortable place of privilege and not had to confront. That stimulates and begins the process through which people can start to realize the benefit. I mean, a lot of people are, are have, you know, comfortably gone to their nine to five job and done their thing for decades and decades. Suddenly they have just two months of not going to that job. Going back to that job suddenly doesn't feel the same. Something has changed. The, it, it's not as satisfying or, or as easy and natural as it once was. Uh, a lot of people have had to really sit with themselves. You know, it's really easy to avoid looking at your emotions and your traumas and the things that want to heal inside of you and maybe physical ailments when you can go to work, go to work, go to work, distract yourself there, come home, throw on Netflix, distract yourself there so you go to sleep, wake up in the morning, go to work, and that becomes your pattern. Suddenly people are having all this free time where they have to sit. And without even knowing it's what they're doing, they're being forced to start doing self-analysis, yeah. going deep, going within. Mm -hmm. And that's starting to, once again, you're watching synapses start to branch out. New layers of possibility and potential are starting to wake up in people, whether they recognize it or not. And that's the important thing. Because some people will stubbornly go back to their old, the status quo and all those new branches and new potentials will prune themselves, synaptic pruning. If it doesn't get used, it'll get pruned. But a lot of people, a lot, a lot of people are going to take the stimulus of this new world and this new experience and, and the engine of discomfort that they've been experiencing and they're going to enter into a brand new phase of their life where they're doing things in different ways and, and trying new things that were outside of that original comfort zone. Mm -hmm. some, some by necessity because their jobs don't exist anymore and their world has been turned upside down. Others because they simply are waking up to the fact that that status quo no longer uh, satisfies or serves mm -hmm. 
Let me ask you a question about what's happening specifically. I want to get your take on it. So a lot of what's happening, like the best word I could, I, I found for it that I think is pretty accurate is a dehumanization. So what I mean by that is like people are more, because of this lockdown, everything that's happened, people are more forced to be on devices, you know, their laptop, their phone, their, their whatever. Um, you have to, you have to be distanced from each other. Um, that's eased up in some areas, but you know, there's a thing for a while where you just couldn't be near another person and we've got the masks and social distancing um and um we were talking about earlier the dancing you can't dance with people anymore for now so etc cetera, etc cetera. people people have a sense of you know what i'm talking about um music live music's not happening um a lot of things that make us human aren't just kind of been taken away and the question is do you feel like that's just going to become the norm we're going to go more in that direction or are people going to kind of have a catalyst of like, hey, this is like, these things are like really what life is about. And I'm, you're making it more clear to me that this is where we need to go. And will there be more connection? One of the conversations I hear too happening is, we talked a little bit earlier about is people saying like, where's my food coming from? You know, because the food supply is shaky right now. Yep. You know, so that's just, things like this are happening. So where, where do you see us going with this catalyst that's here right now? Well, um, so... I feel like we've already existed in a culture that was very um, social distanced already relative to a lot of cultures on the planet. You know, the, uh, a, a stiff handshake greeting, you know, keeping distance, uh, you know, making very little short eye contact. Uh, there's, you know, just very, this, this isolation, individualism, compartmentalized uh stiffness to western culture um specifically like british and american very much uh like this so what you're seeing now is an exaggeration and exacerbation of the existing pattern now suddenly you're not even shaking hands (laughs) you're not even you're six feet away and you're not even able to see the face of this person you're just able to see the eyes which I think has an important effect. It's going to force people to engage each other and pay more attention to what is transferred through the eyes because they can't see the mouth. But ultimately, what it's going to do is it's going to create even more contrast that is going to... It's like a pendulum. It always swings. And you can look in history and you can see this every time. Whenever any pattern of human behavior reaches a greater extreme, then you see the pendulum swing that much more abruptly and strongly in the other direction. And so what you're going to see is you're going to see a massive, not just resurgence, but new surgence of, mm-hmm. of people being radically physical in their, and intimate in their social connection. You know, you're going to have people being more like hugs and mm-hmm. connection and things like that as a result. You're also going to see people continue to, you know, th- there's a there's been this fear that has been set in a lot of people. And, and like I said, trauma is a very strong response in the human organism. Mm-hmm. It's meant to be. A lot of people have this very traumatic experience of the fear of catching this disease or 
spreading this disease to their loved ones. And it's become a, a trauma because like in the moment that you go into a store and you're surrounded by people, that's where the trauma happens. If you're truly afraid of the people around you and the space and the proximity and who's touched what and what's been contaminated and this and that, that is an incredibly traumatic experience to the human physiology. That's a pure fight or flight response. That's going to wire some pretty strong synapses in a lot of people. So there's no, you know, there's going to be a very long healing process for a lot of people in regards to this. And even when there's no threat of some sort of pandemic, people are going to see themselves intimidated and afraid of other people for the pure irrational but true reason that they have that they have created a traumatic habitual pattern in their brains and bodies that they're going to have to undo. But what you're going to see and what you're already seeing right now is a radical, a radical calving from the status quo. You're seeing people not accepting the social media story. They're not accepting life as it has been presented to them. They're not accepting old social patterns. And I believe that this is us coming out of a much longer, older trauma pattern of the last few thousand years. And you're going to see more and more people naturally starting to seek that space of growth and discomfort that helps them to build new skill sets, build new connections, create more intimacy, more things that are holistic and healthy. Because what people are realizing is that they're falling apart, that their minds aren't working well, that their emotional basket cases, that their bodies are falling apart and dysfunctional. Um, that can't continue. There's no, there's no way that, that that pattern can continue. I mean, it's gotten to an extreme. The amount of disease, the amount of people dying from heart disease and from diabetes yeah. and cancers well, and all sorts of things. BC in America. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's a pattern taken to its extreme. Yeah. And, and that, there's a beauty in that because literally the human organism will not allow, <laughs> the physiological organism will not allow the pattern to go further. And what you're seeing all over the world, and it's clear, it's there as clear as daylight. There is uh, millions and millions and millions and millions of people that are taking their health into their own hands. They're practicing different movement patterns. They're doing the Wim Hof Method breath work. They're practicing different forms of spirituality from all over the world to expand their understanding of their energy field and, and their inherent connection to the natural world and their exploring all of the different aspects of any given scientific truth and understanding how multifaceted the idea of any given truth actually is. Um, and my only hope, and, and not just hope, but my practical work on the planet is to help create a supportive space for more and more people to join that community 
that are taking their health, well-being, awesome. and the future of this planet into their own hands and not accepting a dysfunctional status quo as a necessity anymore. Mm. And what you mentioned, there's a, there's a several thousand year trauma pattern that we're breaking out of potentially, right? So what is that trauma pattern? You know, it's, it's civilization, it's, it's Western culture, it's, it's human violence, it's, it's structural governmental warfare, Mm -hmm. um, it's, patriarchy it's actually the 2000 year thing just to be completely frank is the abrahamic religions in general and the you know we were talking about scientism before yeah which is just another dogma mm-hmm. so it's really the the forced implications of these these forced dogmas um you know that that were you know between christianity and islam more than any other really those two have really just through violence and intimidation have forced themselves into cultures around the world and and then become normalized within those cultures. Um, and with that comes this particular form of destructive patriarchy that is really just a imbalance in both of the sexes uh, that and, and just a complete imbalance in the way that you know, fundamental relationships from from literally the procreative element of, of human beings, from from the 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 relationship between men and women and power dynamics, like from that fundamental place, a complete breakdown of natural healthy relationship. Simultaneously, like the fear of the wilderness the evil that lurks in the forest, you know, this couple thousand years, you know, and then like the taming of the wild, you know, man's domination over nature. A lot of this hearkening back to these Abrahamic religions, honestly, a lot of those stories and just the destructive nature of that entire paradigmatic episode in human history. I mean, when you look at it in regards the last few thousand years, if you look at it in, in geological history, let alone just, three million years of human history it's a blink in the eye and when you look at the impact that it's had when you look at the mental emotional and physical state of humanity and you look at the physical state of this planet in such a relatively short amount of time it was a it was a vastly destructive and harmful experiment so that's the paradigm of a couple thousand years that i'm speaking of that that we're in the we're in the direct spectacular and somewhat terrifying at times fallout of that is what people are bulking up against right now it's not just some newly implemented um tyranny that people are bulking against what people are actually bulking against right now is a very anciently like an old tyranny it's an old tyranny. It's very well established. And that's what makes me very hopeful about it. Is because there's never been... It's unprecedented. There's never been this many human beings on the planet in known history. And there's certainly never been this many people with as with anywhere near the toolkit that we have to live harmoniously with nature, to help to expand 
our harmonious connection to ourselves and each other, to reestablish healthy, balanced power dynamics between all humans across all sexes and races and everything. You know, we are living in an unprecedented time to be able to step into a paradigm that will that can potentially eliminate this this super destructive multi-thousand year multi-generational um edifice that has well passed its prime and, and and unfortunately because people love their comfort zone as long as it's available to them they won't change willingly at least not not most people um it takes a special person to step outside of the comfort zone without being forced to um, the reason why you see an exponentially growing number of people coming into this state of empowerment and connection is because the pressures on life, on the planet, on our economical systems, and on our human organisms themselves has never been greater. And with pressure comes change. Um, I'm only hoping that it's not just pre it's not just the pressure of these physical things. It's also the pressure of of cultural norm. So I'm hoping that the the destructive pressure creates enough change fast enough that that behavioral pressure, like cultural normal normative pressure, can take over the job and become the force. You know, because a lot of people will do whatever pop culture tells them to do. So let's get to the point where pop culture is telling them to like, you know, like talk to hug trees, <laughs> drink clean water, like support ecology and support nature, live sustainably, grow their own food, uh, exercise, breathe, um, you know, connect to the magic and the wonder and the spiritual magnificence that is actually present around them rather than staying stuck in this purgatory of the mundane that doesn't even need to exist because the the solutions are actually here but that's something you can say till you're red in the face and if you're one of those humans that's living in that normative boring world you're not going to have the tools to really hear that or really believe it viscerally. Mm -hmm. What I want to do is create the space so people can experience viscerally the magic and the wonder. Mm -hmm. Not in a belief, not in a, not in some sort of like you got to mentally believe this or this is what people say is true, but in an embodied and experiential way because that's the only way that the real change happens. Which is what's, which is the impetus behind the creation of this place we are right now right what, mm -hmm. what, what you see it becoming what you see it is and well it's really the impetus behind everything that I do yeah so Mandala Springs a human empowerment ecological retreat center a literal physical place not only for myself and the people living here to cultivate that deepening relationship to the magic the mystery and the human empowerment and personal excellence but to invite other people in here to do the same um, my chocolate company you know like literally taking a food product turning it into a benefit corp, a B Corp, certified organic, using wildcrafted herbs, making the single most nutritionally and socially, environmentally holistic product I can possibly create 
with my chocolate company and changing the entire paradigm on on cacao, on these superfoods, on how they're grown, how they're transported, how they're processed, and how they are then brought to the consumer, um, like changing the paradigm of the food we eat. And then, you know, my, my Wim Hof Method channel that I just created, you know, bringing this majorly important breathwork practice to as many people as possible. I'm not getting paid for this, not yet. I mean, eventually I'll have a monetization of the channel, but it'll be a pittance. It's not the reason I'm doing it. The reason I'm doing it is because anyone anywhere in the world who has access to the internet can do breath work with me at any point in time. And they are, and it's growing quickly. And I'm getting comments on a daily basis of people who are saying that it's changing their lives. I wish that on anyone. I wish everyone the opportunity to be serving each other in a way where they receive a piece of feedback if it's just one time in their lives that something they shared or did benefited and impacted and changed somebody's life in a way that has benefited them, has helped uplift them, has helped bring them to a greater place of their own personal excellence. Like, there's a virus you can spread. <laughs> there's something we can spread into the world. I'm going to take the tools that I've cultivated and the gifts that I've been given, and I'm going to share them as widely and as powerfully as I possibly can, which is something I'm learning and something that grows every single day. And in doing so, I will be helping other people to be similar and they're going to go out into their day-to-day -day lives and they're going to cultivate excellence. And they're going to share that excellence with as many people as they can because their priorities are in order. They understand that serving the world and serving humanity is the greatest thing we can literally do with our time and energy. And it will spread like a virus. It's the greatest natural high. It's the greatest natural high, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. How do people, they want to plug in more to what you're sharing? How do they get in touch with you and connect with you? So Rob Lenfesty, L-E-N-F-E-S-T-E-Y. Lenfesty literally is Gaelic. It means life and festival. When I was younger, I was like, oh, it means I'm the life of the party. But <laughs> really what it means is like the life of the festivities, the, the actual bringer of life. Um, generally, my ancestors were the ones who brought the meat and honey and dairy products to the gatherings they were the literal life of the festivities so um that's my name rob lenfesty uh my chocolate company is called mandala chocolate super inspiring really beautiful uh mandala naturals m-a-n-d-a-l-a naturals.com mandala springs is the name of this property you can look it up uh, we have a website and a facebook page and we're gonna have lots of different retreats and events happening here regularly uh, my goal is for there to be a consistent rotation of, of just amazing educators and events happening here at all times. I'm envisioning myself being one of them. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Absolutely love having you here anytime. Yeah. That's what it is. It's, it's building, it's creating a node, like a physical node mm -hmm. for our community to share what we have to share in a really effective way. 
And then um, that brand new YouTube channel that's gaining momentum right now, it's called Convergence Lifestyle. Cool. And you'll notice, if, you, if you're if you in the right place, you'll see uh, Wim Hof Method breathwork videos uh, that are taking off right now. I'm about to do another really fun, creative one soon. So that's coming. Cool. Anything else you want to share with the good people before we say goodbye? Well, any words of wisdom? The greatest, I mean, I think one of the greatest things that I can share is no matter where you are right now in yourself, if, if you feel like you are the person I just described who's just been living in your comfort zone and you're, you know, you have a limited toolkit of abilities, it does not matter, not even in the slightest. No matter where you are right now, you have everything you need to start the upward spiral process. And it's step by step, little by little, but it's exponential. It will grow to start to learn, grow, expand, and become more and more of a force of your own personal excellence on this planet. Because that is your birthright. You deserve nothing less than to be embodied in your own personal excellence. And it's completely there. It's completely available. There are all kinds of tools that I know me and Brian both are actively sharing. There are people all over this world right now lining up to support you on your journey. And just keep keep in mind that there is real embodied magic and just awe-inspiring beauty available to viscerally experience on a day-to-day basis. Don't lose track of that. Don't lose hope of that because that is available to you. That's all I got. Awesome. Thank you, Rob. Thanks, everybody.